Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. But there really only two. You'll see what I mean. Second Timothy chapter two. It's kind of deep into the New Testament. Then we're going to come back towards the beginning of the New Testament. We're going to look at Acts. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, book number five. Then we're going back to 2 Timothy. So don't lose that if you turn to to 2 Timothy 2. And we're going to go two chapters to the right. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 4. So 2 Timothy 2, Acts chapter 2. We'll spend most of our time there. And then right at the end, we're going to take a peek at 2 Timothy 4. And uh, you can kind of use that as a roadmap to where we're at in the study. And, uh, and that way you can be tracking well. Well, I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy 2. And last week, we grabbed a theme verse that we're going to pull with us again this week. And here Paul's writing to Timothy. And this is what he says in verse number 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we spent some time last week first highlighting the fact that it's all of our responsibility to develop a relationship with God in order to present ourselves one day to God approved. So when you stand in eternity and you're in front of Jesus, you're not going to be there and say, well, it was the pastor and well, my wife, my husband, and well, it was, you know, those crazy kids or my crazy mom and dad, or it's going to be you and Jesus. And he's going to say, your job was to have a relationship with me so that you could be approved. And he went on in this passage and refined it. That means you're engaged, a worker. You're about, you're in the kingdom business. We're not just attending and consuming, but we're part of this thing. And he narrowed it even further. He said, and one of the most important aspects is that you get to the place where you can rightly divide the word of God. In other words, you can peel it open and you know exactly where the center is, what God's trying to say in any given situation. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. This is every Christian. This is why God's provided his word to all of us so we can all have opportunity to get to know God, get to know his word, and rightly divide it. But we really paid attention last week to those first two words where it says be diligent. It comes from the Greek word spudadzo. And it means to really make a lot of uh, earnest and enthusiastic effort. In fact, one translation says to strain every nerve. You could also say to exhaust yourself, to, to lean into it in pursuit of something or someone that's going to bring a good value to you. And of course, here it's saying that we need to spudazzo. We need to make sure that a primary piece of our energy is focused on being approved before God. And one of the ways to do that, the primary ways, is to rightly divide the Word of God. Well, the reason that I want you to hear all that, because we started a brand new series last week called um, Building a Strong Christian Life. And I compared it to uh, following a recipe. Every recipe, if you can repeat that no matter how many generations the recipe existed, there are certain ingredients that have certain measurements and then many times a process about when those ingredients get folded in and how they get folded in. Well, when you open your New Testament, you find that even though the cultures change, we're 2,000 years away from when the New Testament church was first born, but even though the cultures changed, if I can use this language, the recipe The ingredients, I'm going to use this term, the disciplines that we need to insert into our Christian life have not changed. 
The process of building a strong Christian life hasn't changed. And so when we come back and understand that even in the early church, when they grabbed these ingredients or these disciplines and they incorporated them into their life, it allowed the Holy Spirit to build a recipe and they became living proof that life to the fullest potential, supernatural, real-time relationship with God was not only possible, it was the norm for the people of God. And this is what the Bible's calling us to do today. And so we decided that we were going to go and we're going to look at 10 of these ingredients. Depending on how you look at these and examine them, you could probably split some of them up and they'd be more than 10. Some of you can condense and they'd be less than 10. But 10 ingredients will give us a great overview so that we can understand, well, what, what does it take then to build a strong Christian life? Now, I did qualify a couple things. Important I repeat this morning. Because we're overviewing these 10 ingredients, it's really important that you understand what we're trying to accomplish. We want to rediscover what these these ingredients are. We want to take a look and say, what are the things that we should be able to identify that are happening in our life, not all at the same proportion. Sometimes, you know, something's being folded in and something else is waiting over there, but we shouldn't have anything in our life, any of these 10 that we're closed off. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just not into that. Or no, I had a bad experience, so I'm not going to lean into that anymore. That would be like trying to make a recipe and you leave a couple of ingredients out. We also want to take a look and say, are we balanced across the board? Now, the Holy Spirit's the one shaping our lives. But we want to find out if we're balanced because sometimes we find one particular part of our Christianity. We love that. We so enjoy it. And we just like dump tons of stuff into that. And it would be like baking an ingredient. And because you love sugar, instead of putting two cups, you put five cups. Because more is better, right? Well, maybe you like it extra sweet, but the recipe is adjusted. If we don't have this balance and you see it all the way across the Bible, it's consistent. God's consistent. If we'll follow him, there's a systematic approach to this. So for 10 weeks, we're going to look at 10 different ingredients or 10 different disciplines. But this is really important. The goal is not by the end of 10 weeks for you to be fully mature in all 10. You won't be. And you need to know that because we should expect often in these kinds of studies where the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. Now, conviction is a good thing. It doesn't sound like a good thing, but it is. It's where he begins to lean in and say, ah, I want to talk to you about this one. We, we, we really need to get a little more in the measuring cup. We need to get that folded into your life a little better than you have. And he's doing that because he wants to develop you in areas so that you could experience all the stuff that you're just really wanting to experience with God. And he's like, yeah, but you're missing three ingredients. So conviction's a good thing. So if, if you walk out of some of these studies, you're like, oh, I'm just not doing a good job with that at all. That's a great thing. The lights came on. You're not in the dark anymore. And you get a chance to open your heart up to the Lord. What's not a great thing, and that is that some people, when they feel conviction, allow condemnation to come. And condemnation never pushes you to God. It pushes you away from God. But Romans 12:2 tells you that if you're a born-again believer, you've accepted Jesus Christ, from that point on, there is never, ever, ever again any room for condemnation in your life ever. And here's why, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has completely set you free, listen, to be imperfect. God knows you're imperfect. 
God knows you're growing. God knows that you're in this process. And listen, even when we recognize our weakness or even when we recognize an area that's just hard for us, we don't even want to come to terms with it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to grow. I don't want to even, you know, I, I, don't want, I just don't even want to look at that area. Even in those times to be able to come to God and say, okay, I, I know that's a problem for me. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't even want to look at that. But it's a really important ingredient. So I'm coming to you in my weakness. I'm coming to you maybe in my self-centeredness about what I want, not what you want. And I'm going to open that to you. Condemnation will push you away from God. Conviction draws you to him. So we want to welcome conviction. We want to run to God and say, that's me. I'm all messed up. I'm imperfect there. I need a lot of help. Uh, but, but I'm coming to you for it. And that's when God responds to us the best. Two things that'll really help you, and we're getting right to the message. One, uh, we've, we've uh, encouraged connect groups. You'll see it in today's study. Christianity is a very personal thing. It's not a private thing. You'll never grow in your Christianity unless you get outside of your own self and you let other people begin to be part of the conversation, part of the growth. You need the camaraderie. You need the encouragement. You need the sharpening. You need someone to sit down with you and say, man, you know that I love you, right? You know we're tired, right? I got to talk to you about something. Because no one else is going to do that. Everybody else sees it. Everybody else knows, but no one wants to say anything. The people that love you will say something. And you need to develop that, but that takes some time. So connect groups, getting in these smaller discussions are one way to do that. And if you're not part of a connect group, I know it might be one of those areas like, ah, just, I'm just not into that. I know, but let me encourage you, get into it. Take the couple steps. It'll be awkward at first for some, but it'll get really great in a short period of time. As you know, you can trust these people. You start getting along. You realize you're not the only one going through stuff. You're like, everybody's going through that same thing. I thought it was just me. It's not. So connect groups are really important. And the second thing you have available is we're providing these workbooks absolutely free. You don't have to be a member here. You can visit one time. Uh, they're also online. For those of you that don't like to do hard copy stuff, you're real digital, then you can go online and get these things. Um, the benefit of these things is they're going to cover all the study more than uh, any of our campus will be able to do it in a message. But you can use these to take notes because we're going to follow the straight line all the way down. You can jot some things down. Uh, then you can go back in person uh, or in your personal study lean in a little more, and then bring them to your connect groups because they make great discussion questions and stuff. So, all right. All that being said, last week we talked about a passion for souls and how as awkward as that is for some people because we want to keep our faith real private, it's really important that we open up our heart and we say, Lord, help me to have a passion for souls. Two reasons. Number one, because it reminds you that life here is temporary. We put so much time and so much money and so much effort and so much emotion, so much thought into temporary things. But the Bible's really clear. Every human being on the earth, those that are serving Christ and those that have, have, are not, every human being is wired to live forever somewhere. And you choose that somewhere here. And once you leave this earth and you get into eternity, there's no adjustments after that. Listen, you can't light enough candles for somebody. You can't pray. You can't hope. You can't do enough good, you know, good, good acts on their behalf to shift that. Once they leave the earth, according to the Bible, the decision's been made. And either they spend eternity with God or they spend eternity away from God. And if you pick up one of those workbooks, last week kind of elaborates on what that means. We didn't talk about it or teach about it, uh, but it's in, in your book about what the Bible says about eternity away from God, what that looks like. 
But it's really important that we calibrate our perspective because we realize everything happening here, it's just temporary, but it's all a setup for what happens next. And once you understand that and you begin to soften your heart to that, then your focus, your energies, your time, your resources all get focused as well. And you realize, man, I have to be engaged in this great commission somewhere. If I'm a follower of Christ, I've got to be about what Christ's mission in the earth is. And that is to get people saved so they can spend an eternity with God and then help to get their life shaped. So important that we start there. But today we're going to talk about the second ingredient or the second discipline. And it's talking about a passion for God's word. And, and it might seem obvious, well, yeah, we're Christians, right? We should read the Bible. We should know what the Bible says. But, but it's more than that. It's developing a hunger and a passion for God's word. And you see why that's important? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but one we just read this morning in 2 Timothy, and that is because you cannot present yourself approved to God and know how to rightly divide the word of God unless you're spending time in the word of God. You just can't do that, right? It's not, it's not that easy. It's not that automatic. The Bible says in the last days, it becomes even more complex. So we've got to be spending time there. But here's another reason that's more personal, and we'll see it in today's scripture. According to the word of God itself, God's word is our primary source as followers of Christ, first for spiritual nourishment and development. It's like physical food to your physical body. You need to eat physical food, but you need to eat good food. You need to eat the right foods at the right time in the right proportion in order to maximize your health. And the word of God provides that spiritual nourishment. Not only that, it's also a source of direction. It's a source of restoration and refreshing. It's a source of healing. And it's a source of discipline from the inside out to shape us so that we can develop appetites and develop the right passions to where we don't crave the wrong things. We crave the right things. And, and all of that happens as we lean into the word of God. And the other thing that you'll see today is as all of that's developing in us, then it sets the stage and creates the atmosphere so the Holy Spirit can come and bring his power and release supernatural things that are happening in our life. And so we're going to see all of that from Acts chapter 2 today. I should turn to second chapter. We're going to start in verse number 40, but that's pretty deep into the story. So let me just give you a quick recap. The first 13 verses of Acts, Jesus sets them up in Acts chapter 1, and it's where the Holy Spirit literally comes, and he envelops a room. He, he it fills and empowers a room full of people and they spill out on the street for the first time ever speaking praise and glorifying, testifying of God, but in a language that they didn't understand what they were saying. Everybody else around there did. They were like, wow, you're preaching right to us. And they're like, I didn't know I was preaching y'all. I'm just, I'm, I'm just experiencing what the Holy Spirit's given. Well, in that moment, the Bible says the New Testament church was being set up. The great commission, go and preach the gospel, was being launched. All that was being ignited right there. And the Bible says that as all of that was happening and people started asking questions, Peter steps up and Peter preaches the impromptu sermon of his life. And we actually have a script of the sermon that Peter preached, but we don't have the whole thing. We just have like the highlights, like the cliff note version or the, you know, the little uh, Twitter feed about what Peter was saying there. And, and that in and of itself, as the word of God was being rightly divided and declared in that day, in a 24 hour period, the Bible's going to show us the New Testament church for the first time ever was born. 3,000 people 
gave their heart to Jesus Christ because of the power of the word of God being preached and rightly divided. So all of that sets us up. We're in verse number 40 now. It says, and with many other words, he, that's Peter, testified and exhorted them. In other words, the sermon that you can read just prior, that's not the whole sermon. That's the highlights. That's the really important parts. But man, we don't know how long this sermon was, but Peter was preaching and he just gave him everything he got with many other words than were printed. He testified and exhorted them saying, and here, here was the theme of the whole message, be saved from this perverse generation. And notice verse 41, then when he did that, those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So I want you to see, the whole New Testament church started as the word of God was rightly divided, rightly declared. The Holy Spirit came and moved on that and moved in people's heart. And 3,000 people said, wow, we've never heard that before, but that's, that's true. And, we, and they staked their life on it. And in that moment, 3,000 people were born. But here's the question then, now what? One big impromptu meeting, nobody planned it. It wasn't like, you know, scheduled and, and there wasn't seat reservations and there wasn't a structure for people at the altar and who's going to take the offering and how long is the worship going to be and, you know, what, what songs are we going to sing? None of that. It was all impromptu. Here's the word of God. Here's the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people, bam, 24 hours later, you got a church. Now What? And that's where verse 42 picks up and says, here's how the church began to grow and build strong Christian lives. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In other words, once they got saved, the first priority that was inserted into the New Testament church was to develop a passion for God's word. In fact, when you look back at the, the beginning of verse 42, and it says they continued steadfastly, it's from this compounded Greek word. Both those words are one word, and it means to be intently focused. It means to be completely committed. It means to be hardworking with diligent effort. But here's what I want you to hear. To the point of becoming addicted, or the point of becoming obsessed and so these people didn't just say, ah, oh, that, that's really cool. That's interesting. That's inspiring. They literally, something happened in their heart and they committed themselves to keep coming and coming and studying and studying and recognizing what the apostles were preaching to them. And they did it to the point they became addicted. They became committed. Now, addiction's not a bad thing, by the way, if you're addicted to the right thing. So for example, some of you have experienced over your life, uh, boy, I, I just kind of get, get in shape. I need to work out. And the first couple of times, man, it's just grit. Fine. I'm going to drag myself out of bed. I'm going to get down there. I'm doing, you know, the workout routine. Maybe I got a personal trainer or something and I'm, I'm trying to do it. But day after day, week after week, I hate it until something clicks. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you, you can feel a difference. You got a little more energy. Maybe your clothes fit a little better and, and you, you just feel like some things are adjusting. And at that point, the pendulum has swung and you go from sheer discipline to now being addicted. You can be working out and man, your life is just getting healthier and healthier and you got a nice good rhythm on it to the point that a short period of time later, you miss a workout and it messes you up. You're like, oh, I didn't get my workout today. I feel like my whole day's off if I don't get my workout. 
And, and if that goes a couple of days or three days, man, you're really goofed up and you can feel something's changing back in your body because all the rhythms are adjusting. Listen, that's not a bad addiction. And the Bible says this is how they became to the word of God. They were coming together and studying God's word and the real real-time impact it was having on them literally was changing their lives to the point it became addicting. They didn't go to church and they didn't study because, well, I have to go to church. We've got to read the Bible at least once a day. You know, they did it because something was happening in their life and they became obsessed with it. They became addicted to the impact or the effect that it was having on them. And the more they did that, they leaned in. The reason we have to see that, because something happened in the priority of the early church, that church and time in God's word was not a convenience. It was not hit or miss. It wasn't interrupted by the, you know, the schedules and, and, and all kinds of other things. This was the schedule. This was the priority. And the more they did that, then God responded to that. And as he responded, we're going to keep studying here and we're going to find there's four things we're going to get right here from a few verses in the book of Acts that God uh, did demonstratively in their life. I mean, measurably, they're, they're watching it happen. Other people are watching it happen. And it was supernatural. It wasn't something, yeah, we're just trying as hard as we ever have. No, no, we committed ourselves. And as we took the word of God in, God's word started doing something inside of us just the way that, that God promised it would. And it literally changed this group of people to the point that 3,000 began to keep growing and growing and growing. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 2. Again, verse 42 starts and said, they were committed steadfastly. Here's the first one. God's word strengthened them internally. Strengthened them internally. And again, I wanted you to see that committed steadfastly and all that that meant to the point they became obsessed. But here's why I want you to see it because that wasn't just their sheer grit and willpower. That wasn't, man, this is such a disciplined group that they just buckled down and made a decision. Well, they made the decision initially, but kind of like what happens in working out as they made the decision to keep coming and they were encouraging one another, hey, you can't miss, I didn't see you there, you got to get back here. And they stayed in it, something began to happen internally and the pendulum shifted. And they went from got to do this to I can't wait to do this to I can't live without this because it's, it's changing me, it's feeding me, it's strengthening me, it's balancing me, it's encouraging me. And they begin to realize, boy, this has got to be the priority because if this one gets off, everything, all the rhythms get off. And they begin to make this a priority. Now listen, this is not the only time it's pictured in the word of God. And, and I'll just give you a few examples, but all the way through the New Testament, over and over and over and over and over, it tells us about the power and the essentialness of God's word in us. To the point that it even promises, even if you don't like it at first, even if you don't have a taste for it, even if like, ah, I do it, but I don't get anything out of it. Boy, you open your heart to the Holy Spirit and you say, come on, you're the teacher. You come feed me and teach me. And there's a Psalm that says, taste and see, and you'll find out the Lord's good. You'll develop, something will change inside of you and you'll be like, I never thought it would happen. It's the craziest thing. I used to hate my devotions. Something's changed inside it. I can't wait can't wait to get to a place that's opening up the word of God. This is legitimate. This actually happened to them and it'll happen to us. Let me show you why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, God's powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, 
cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. In other words, every time we open God's word, if we'll allow it to, God's word comes in not with just giant machete, just condemning you and I can't believe you did that. See, you're not a good person. God comes in like a very skilled surgeon with a scalpel and he just cuts and says, I want to remove that. I I want to open that up there. We got to clean that out because if you do, and as God begins to operate little by little, tiny little, almost like outpatient surgeries every day, then your life begins to, to, to align and you become healthier and stronger. You're healing and you're thinking clearer than you ever have. And the word of God is very intentional. It's a powerful thing. It's not just like words on a page. Jesus said, the words of God are alive. And they're very spiritual in their nation means it's not like they don't have any, any uh, natural impact, but they start at the deepest part of who you are and they bring change from the inside to the outside. And this is what the word of God does. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse two, you don't have to turn there, but it says that as you open yourself up to God's word, God will literally clean and adjust your thinking. He'll help you to see how truth really unfolds. He'll help you to see how he designed it, how the kingdom works. What are the things that you need to to get lined up so that you can get a better uh, result and live a happier, more fulfilled life? The word of God does all that. And listen, it does it in increments from, man, this is working way better to, this is working better than I thought it ever would. To fully mature, this is working exactly like God said. You begin to progress and grow. It's a promise of the word of God. In fact, Jesus taught a whole message on it in Mark chapter 4, spent all day teaching a large crowd over and over from different angles. And here's what he said, the whole kingdom works like a farm. You're the soil, your heart's the soil. And when you take God's word and you plant it in your heart and in your mind, it begins to produce something in your life. And the fruit from your life, the result from your life just becomes better and better and sweeter and sweeter. And your life becomes happier and more fulfilled and more effective than you ever thought possible. Jesus said it over and over from different angles, trying to get them to understand. Well, Paul picks up on this in Galatians chapter five. And he says, yeah, let me talk to you about that fruit that begins to develop in your life. Starts with the word of God. The Holy Spirit comes and says, let, let, me, let me move that recipe around a little bit and begins to move in your heart. And he says that this fruit begins to work something in you and he lists them. He says, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Let me pause. Faithfulness isn't just doing the same, doing the same thing over and over and over again, never stopping. Faithfulness is doing it with the same confidence with the same intensity. So it's not just what you do, it's why you do it. With the conviction and the belief, because it makes a difference, because this is going to work, because it's the right thing, and God said he'll honor the right thing. So faithfulness, gentleness, and notice this last one, self-control. That's what we read about in Acts 2.42. They were committed steadfastly, not just because they had discipline, but because the word of God was producing fruit in their life. The Holy Spirit's taking this and he's, he's working in their life and he's producing fruit in their life. And all of these fruits, it goes on in Galatians 5.22 says, when these things start working in your life, listen, there's nothing in this whole world. There's nothing in any of the spiritual dimensions. There's nothing in the circumstances of life as we know it that can counteract these. These will overcome everything. Now, this took me a while to understand. 
Because when I was younger, I would read this list and like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And I would think, man, it's just like a sissy list. It's just going to make me a nicer person. And yeah, I want to be a nicer person, but come on, man. I want to be strong and I want to be successful. And I want to be able to go out there and meet life's challenges head on. And I just don't see how, you know, peace and patience and kindness and love. But listen, the more you begin to study the word of God, you find out this is not just to make you a nicer person. This is to strengthen and galvanize who God's called you to be on inside. So no matter what happens, you don't get provoked to not be who you are. You can respond rightly. You can think clear-headed. You're not, you listen, you're not pulled off course or distracted by anything, but you can be everything God's called you to be. You'll be strong. And because you're strong in the Lord, you'll not only be strong, you'll be successful and you'll have a significant life. This is a promise of God. And it's all rooted in the love of God and the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings that comes back to the word of God. All of this stems from right there. And so we come back and we find out, and again in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly. Well, that wasn't just their own willpower. The word of God was building them and strengthening them and, and adjusting things on the inside so they become more and more confident. And notice this, they continued steadfastly, not just in the word of God or the apostles' doctrine, but in fellowship. That's the word koinonia. It means that they were not just getting the word wherever, but they were planted in a local group of believers who were like-minded, studying the word of God together, and they were learning to do life together. There was a partnership there. You know, Ecclesiastes says that two is always better than one. Because there's times when you're just having an off day, man. You feel like, ah, I just kind of lost my compass. And you need somebody to come along and say, well, well, let me talk to you for a minute. Don't forget what the Bible says. Don't forget what we've learned. And somebody comes and picks you up and shoulders that. And they were learning to do that, having that camaraderie. But not just that, they were also being consistent, steadfast in the breaking of bread. And this is talking about communion, not just the religious ritual. But remember, for those of you that are part of the church, we studied uh, what it means to be in a contract. And they were coming back and saying, listen, I know we're going through some tough, tough stuff, but don't forget, we have a contract with God. God promised God swore in blood that what he said he would do, he would fulfill. And they were communion or encouraging one another in the contract. They were agreeing and praying and standing and believing God. And they were continuing to share meals to say, okay, how are you doing? So they're deepening their relationship. And finally, he said they continued steadfastly in prayers. And this is pointing to all kinds of prayer. But it's also pointing to the passion and the relevancy and the intentionality of their prayer. In other words, they weren't just saying prayers. They were in a deep and ongoing conversation with a living God. This is what you said. This is what you promised us. We're opening to the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to let go of this thing. We're coming in and we're depending on you moving in this thing and adjusting our hearts and showing us what to do. And as they leaned into those faith-filled, committed, real-time prayers, God did just what he promised he shows up. Every single time he shows up. And they were learning to do that as individuals and as a group, but it all started with feeding from the word of God 
getting encouragement, and then letting the word of God adjust and sharpen some things in them. So the first thing God did was strengthen them internally. The second thing that the word of God did was validate them externally. And this is really important because when you, when you get into the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, you find that this wasn't just a warm, inviting culture or climate that they were growing in the word and committing each other to. In fact, persecution was fastly on the rise. So much so that Peter and John just went to the synagogue one day and, and they're praying for somebody and he gets healed and they get arrested, held overnight, beaten severely, and then pulled in front of the religious officials and said, don't you ever, ever mention the word of Jesus again. You can talk about God and you can go through, you know, the Torah and stuff, but don't you ever do this New Testament church thing. We don't want to hear you preaching. We don't want to hear you pushing this ever again. And then they let them go after they threatened them, the Bible says, severely. I want you to see that because meanwhile, the church was just growing steadily in their commitment to the word of God and to letting him grow in all of them. It was a cancel culture to the extreme. This was not an easy environment. You risk reputation. You might lose your job. You might lose clients. But they were trusting that whatever was lost, the word of God and God would make up. And so we find out not only did he strengthen them internally in the midst of all that, but he validated them externally. Listen to, to verse 43, Acts 2. Then, so after they'd committed to the word of God and this thing's going on and they're growing and they're strengthening, it says, then fear came on every soul. And listen to this. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostle. The word fear helps us to understand this incredible reverence happened. Not just they got quiet and they just bowed their head reverently, but all of a sudden it began to be obvious, glaringly obvious, this stuff is real. I mean, God's real. This is really working. And all of a sudden, man, the last thing anybody wanted to do was play with this stuff. Last thing anybody wanted to do would be religious, like, don't mess with this stuff. I'm telling you, God's a real God. He's really showing up. He's really making a difference. And this incredible reverence to the point that they were almost afraid to make a mistake, not in their own strength, but it's like, man, last thing we want to do is play with. Don't play with this. Don't make fun of it. Don't make light of it. This is serious and this is real. And notice it said, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Those sound like the same thing, wonders and signs, but they're really different. The word wonders uh, elsewhere is translated miracles in the New Testament. And it's really talking about something that happens that brings awe. That causes you to step back and go, wait, what? Oh my goodness, no way, what? Uh, and, and even something you've been praying for and, and wanting and believing God to do, but he finally does it. And it's, it's just such an incredible over-the-top miracle like was never could have happened. And yet it does. And it causes everybody just to go, whoa, no way. Some of those things were happening like right in their gatherings. They're praying and in the moment, God would heal somebody. In the moment, God would do something that would just set somebody free. But others were happening like as, as they were studying and as time went on. Hey, I got a testimony this morning. Remember that thing we were praying about? Yeah, this is what happened. Whoa, no way. It was just a wonder. It caused them to just get wide-eyed and think, man, this is real. This is real. And reverence and fear. But the other one, it said signs was a little bit different. While the first one's purpose was to recognize God's real and God's powerful, and he really does do what he promised. 
The second one is a Greek word in signs that talked about something that is moving us in a certain direction or pointing to a certain direction to prove or to validate that that direction is a sound one. So for example, it it was often used to refer to signposts that were on a road when you're traveling down the road and you're wondering, man, we've been walking this road for a long time. Are you sure we're on the right way? And then you see a signpost that says, you know, 15 more miles until Damascus or whatever. You knew, okay, so we're on the right road. We just need to keep going. We're getting there. And the Bible says that signs were happening on a regular basis in their group. And they were beginning to realize Hey, this stuff's working. And so where a wonder might be something that happens and it's, it's big and it's splashy and it's, it's, it's just a miracle. And you're like, no way. A sign would be something that's happening progressive. Like Romans 12, 2 says, as your mind gets renewed, your life goes from good to better to finally, man, that's everything that I dreamed it would be, everything God promised to a maturity. And so they began to get into this. And as they committed, the word of God started doing what it said. Sometimes it was like just incredible eye popping. And other times it was like, you're different. I know I was just talking to my wife the other day. I just feel like it's only been like three months, but I'm like already a different person. And these signs that would just prove to them you're on the right path. Nope, God's doing what he said. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Don't don't deviate, don't get distracted. Just stay right where you're going. And as God began to demonstrate himself, sometimes these explosive, crazy, wonderful things, and oftentimes just a progressive moving forward, just like the word of God promised he would. But the Bible says that as all that began to happen, that God validated them externally because people were watching. They were watching one another, but other people were watching. And in fact, the verse will go on and tell us that as these things happen, then something began to move in the church and other people started saying, hey, I heard about you guys and you guys are always studying that. What is that new, that new religion thing, that new book? And yeah, yeah, talk to me about that. And other people started getting born again. And God began to do what he promised to do in their life. And that was the great commission that kept moving forward. So the first thing is that God's word strengthened them internally. But listen, God's word never stays on the inside. It always goes from the inside. And if you stay with it, it will come to the outside and it will also validate uh, you externally. Here's number three, God's word resourced them abundantly. God's word resourced them abundantly. Acts 2.44, so we're in the very next verse, says, now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now let me just stop. I don't want you to walk away with the impression that once they found the Lord, everybody sold everything, and they moved to a large piece of property, and they lived on a commune. That's not what the Bible says. It's talking about the fact that this koinonia, this fellowship, this doing life together was was becoming so personal and so real that they literally began to really care about one another. And because the persecution was happening and some people lost their jobs and other people, their businesses began to dwindle as clientele dropped off because the culture canceled them. And, and, but, but the church was looking at that and saying, hey, you know what? Um, I, I have this other, you know, I have this other thing going on, this other account of this piece of property. And you just been on my heart. I just feel like the Lord's going to, you know, wants me to sell that. And then I'm going to use some of that money to help subsidize you as you get back on your feet. That was all the Holy Spirit moving. And this is important that we see because Paul gives us another really big example of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now listen to this. 
He says, he's talking to the Corinthian church, since you excel in so many ways. So he's going to compliment them, man. You're continuing steadfastly in the word. And there's all these great things that are going. He's going to compliment. And he says, you're excelling in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, and your love for us. And he says, so I want to encourage you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So he wants to remind them, listen, it's not just internal. It's not just what the Lord's doing to help you to be a better person, but it's also recognizing that part of my serving the Lord has to do with my stuff. God doesn't have any problem with you having stuff. In fact, some people are being shocked when they get to heaven because God loves stuff. But listen to me, you having stuff and stuff having you are totally different issues, completely different. And at some point, the Lord's going to begin talking to you about stuff and saying, you can't just grow in the Lord and you'll experience his blessings. But part of that growing is recognizing that if Jesus is Lord over my life, he's Lord over my stuff. And we begin to get real sensitive to the Holy Spirit about, about what needs to happen. But I want you to notice how Paul postures it. He says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. The next verse, he says, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not going to make it a legalistic thing. Like if you don't give or if you don't do this, he says, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, And you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. By the way, for those that are wanting to over-spiritualize this, go do your homework, because 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is talking about stuff. Well, but God means like, you know, rich on the inside. Well, he, that's a really important thing. He talks about that elsewhere, not here. These two verses are talking about stuff. And he's saying, you, you got it going on in the internal thing. Let me make sure that gets to the outside. The reason I'm bringing this up, I'm not going to take an offering after this, by the way, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of Christians begin to grow, and, and they do. They need stuff. They, they either need more stuff, or they need wisdom to do with the stuff that God's blessed them with because they want to feel right, and they want to feel confident that they're serving the Lord in the right way. And, and so it has to do with stuff. But a lot of times, Christians just, I don't know why they do this, they assume that their stuff is always connected outside. I need more stuff. So God, you have to give me a better job. You have to give me a raise on my job. You have to build my clientele, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always outside. Or I have all this stuff. What can I do? I need to do something outside. And listen, there's nothing wrong with the outside on either one of those equations. God uses that. But I want you to understand that oftentimes God starts the stuff inside. And sometimes the Lord will, will, uh, move on your heart to bless somebody else with stuff. Right here in, in your church, right in the connect group, you hear they have a need. And listen, it's not your job to meet that need. That's the Lord's job. So there's no pressure. But you start feeling something in your heart where the Holy Spirit says, you got a little tucked away. I just want you to share some of that with them. And let me, that's a legitimate thing. I've had conversations with Christians and they're like, wait a minute, are you saying that sometimes I should give them money? Yeah. That's exactly what the Bible's saying. Because they're praying for it and they're believing God for it, not every time. 
But sometimes the Lord will move on your heart and say, I want you to meet that need. Sometimes the needs of a congregation or a group of believers will be met from the inside to the outside. And sometimes God will use you to meet the needs of other people. And I'm just saying, Paul says, I'm not commanding. I'm not going to make it a big formula, a big legalistic thing. You have to just recognize generosity is important. In fact, let me give you one more scripture and we're going to move on. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. God, uh, Paul's talking to the church at Galatia about the fact that you, you can't outgive God. Remember the grace of the Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8? He says, yeah, you'll never outgive Jesus. Jesus laid everything down so that he could get it all over to you. You'll never outgive Jesus. And in Galatians 6.10, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Everybody, every opportunity, inside, outside, upside, downside. We're always supposed to be people that are willing and excited to do good. But notice how he finishes the statement, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I've met people that are extremely charitable and entrepreneurial outside their home. And sometimes those same people, their, their spouse and their children feel like, man, I wish I was, a, I wish I was one of those guys because I would get your time, I would get your money, I would get your resource. But inside, it's like you look right over the top of me. And Paul's saying, let's, let's not do that. Let's excel there too. And that's part of our growing. And that's the way that God meets needs, not just from the inside, but also from the outside, but not just from the outside, also from the inside. And so we can be sensitive to that. Here's the fourth one, that God increased them exponentially. So he started internally, strengthened them internally, and then he validated them externally like everybody could see this stuff's working. God's doing exactly what he promised. And then he resourced them abundantly from the inside to the outside, outside of the inside. God just began to bless and they had everything that they needed. And number four, uh, God's word increased them exponentially. We're back in Acts chapter two for the last time. Verse 46 says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, it's gonna recap, and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Stop. This was a really complicated situation. I mean, the culture's crazy and, and you know, the economy's up and down and people are being persecuted. And yet for, for the people that were serving God, it just got real simple. We're just going to stay with the word. We're just going to trust the Lord. We're just going to pray together and we're going to stay together. And we just believe that God's bigger and richer and smarter and stronger than all this stuff. And that's exactly what happened. And so in the middle of craziness and chaos, which you read about in the chapters surrounding this, it says they just continued daily with one accord in the temple. They just kept breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, with simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And as they did that, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In other words, as the word of God became priority and they were strengthened internally and they were validated externally, and they were resourced abundantly. People around, inside and outside, were watching and saying, man, this stuff works. Yeah. So this is real. Yeah. So God really does show up and do. Yeah. Yeah. And as that happened, people said, well, I need that. Yeah. Come on. And the church began to grow and it was added daily, not because they had some giant events and campaigns, because people were just living in the word of God sharing one another's daily lives and learning to trust God together. Now, let me give you one more scripture uh, passage and, and I'm just gonna put it over here. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about the last days and you can read in a number of passages um, that we're in the last days, no question about it. In fact, Jesus is coming really soon. 
And I'm not saying that to scare anybody. In fact, if you're a Christian, then you should begin to understand this is a time to, to rejoice. Because where we're going is an upgrade by far. I know some of you are like, yeah, but I, didn't, I never got to do this and I never got to do that. Trust me, when we get there, you're like, who wants to do that? It's like regretting the fact that you didn't make enough macaroni noodle necklaces when you're in preschool. It's like once you get to kindergarten or first grade, it's like, who wants to mess with macaroni again, man? I'm, I'm totally, listen, when, we, when Jesus comes back, we're moving, and the Bible says he's coming really soon. And there's a number of things that as Christians that we're cautioned. Listen, whatever you do, it's going to get real slippery. It's going to get real deceptive. It's going to get kind of scary in some things. Whatever you do, and it gives a number of cautions. But listen, by far, the predominant last day warning is stay with the word of God. Over and over and over, like this giant center line all the way through the narrative, stay with the word of God. In fact, let me just kind of skip a rock and we'll end up in 2 Timothy 4 and we're done. We started with 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says, be diligent to show yourself approved, be a worker for the Lord. And then he says, one of the primary, I mean, the fine point on that statement is rightly dividing the word of truth rightly device. Stay with the word. Stay with the word. One chapter later, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he, he says the reason that's so important, because when we get into the last days, the deeper we get into the last days, he said perilous times are going to come. And the word perilous means dangerous. It means like really super scary and sketchy. And you'd think, okay, here it comes, you know, wars and famine and pestilence. Nope, doesn't make the list. The scariest thing that will happen in the last days, besides all that other stuff, but the scariest thing will happen is what happens in the hearts of people. And people become very selfish and very self-centered. I mean, people that are close, same families and in close relationships, they'll sell each other out in a heartbeat. They become lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure way more than lovers of God. Ah, should we go to church? Should we go to connect group? Or should we go have some fun? Done. Easy decision. We're having fun. And this is going to become common and widespread in the last days. And that's going to become a very dangerous society, not because people are just inherently evil and trying to hurt each other, but people just don't care not to hurt each other. It's just about, I got to take care of me and I, I just got to make me right. And I got to get my right margins and I got to feel good about myself, not letting the word of God build them up and restore and feed and refresh them. They're going to take all that on and do it themselves. And that's going to make for a very dangerous society because it's like every person for themselves. But he goes on in the rest of chapter three, talking about what we should do. And chapter four, he begins this way. And this is what I'm going to read. And we finish. Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, I charge you therefore, in other words, because of everything we just read in chapter three, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Listen to verse two, preach the word. Preach the word. And then he goes on and says, be ready in season and out of season. And then he says, and when I say preach, here's some of the things that are going to be involved. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse three, four, or because the time will come when they, and he's talking about the church, right inside the church, but then rippling out to the rest of society. He says, they will no longer endure sound doctrine. 
They don't want to hear the word. They don't want to hear good Bible teaching anymore. What are they looking for? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. Some translations add teachers who will say or teach what they want to hear. And it goes on and says, and they will turn their ears away from truth. And when they turn their ears away, they will be turned aside to fables, to fantasies, to stories, to things that sound kind of cool. And I, I, you know, that actually makes sense, but they're not the word of God. It's not truth. But he goes back in verse size. He says, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. He's not just talking to Timothy. He's talking to the, to the group of Christians. In fact, let me, let me skip through a couple of things so you can really crystallize this. When he says preach the word, it literally is, is meaning to declare or to proclaim. It gives a picture of someone who's got an official role and they're the messenger or the emissary between a dignitary or a king. And they go to a place and they're speaking on behalf of the king and their job is to give the message exactly the way the king gave it. They don't have the privilege of saying, well, you know, here's, here's kind of what I think he meant. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Rightly divide the word. What did he say? And that's our responsibility and our job. And, and remember, he just said, I'm, listen, I'm charging you in front of Jesus and God who you'll stand and look right in the eyes one day. Don't compromise this. Stay with the word of God. And sometimes that's going to mean you're going to have to wrestle and convince people a little bit. Other times you're going to have to say, hey man, I love you, but that's wrong. Look right here, the Bible says that. I know you want to believe it. I know you got six people that you've listened to on a podcast and they're saying, yeah, but that's kind of what it means. This is what it means. And that's just part of what we have to do. And listen to me, if you're thinking, yeah, well, at the office or, you know, no, in your house with your spouse with your children, because I'm telling you, stuff's coming in from every direction. And we're avoiding conversations, not sitting down and saying, yeah, I don't know. Let, let's see, what does the Bible say? Oh, I wish it wouldn't have said that, yeah, but it does. So, so let's get on the same page and let's rightly divide this thing and let's preach. And by the way, he goes on and he says, you're supposed to do this in season and out of season. The word in season, those two words are one Greek word and it describes something that's appropriate, something that's fitting and something that was invited or we'll say it this way, something that's convenient. There are those times when somebody says, can I talk to you for a minute? I know you're a Christian and I'm just kind of going through this and I just kind of want to know, what, what do you think about that? Why? Interesting, you should ask. Because I was just studying this, the Bible says, and they're just like eating it up. Those are wonderful. Those are in-season times. But he says, we're supposed to be ready to declare the word of God in season when it's convenient, when it's invited, when it fits, when it's fun, but out of season. It's the complete opposite end of the spectrum in the Greek language. And it means you're also supposed to do that when it's not fun, when it's not invited, when it's extremely inconvenient, when it's awkward. You're supposed to find a way at certain times to say, can I talk to you about something? I mean, maybe that's with your spouse. Maybe that's with your kids. Sweetheart, you know that I love you, but uh, I got to talk about this because I'm seeing something in your life and I'm not judging. I'm just saying, this is what the Bible says. Can we talk about that a little bit? To your kids. Yeah, I, I know what your professors are telling you and I know what the other kids are saying, but listen, we, we need to sit down because this is what the Bible says. 
We can't just go with the flow in the last days. We got to come back and preach the word. And listen to me, the promise of the Bible is regardless whether it's in season, whether it's fun or it's inconvenient, if you'll stay with the word, then the power of the word of God, the Bible says, will strengthen you from the inside to the outside. Not only that, it'll validate. Your life will begin to reflect and people will say, man, how are you doing that? Well, I'd like to tell you but it'll resource you abundantly. We don't have to be afraid of the economy. We have to be smart. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit and be wiser than we ever have. But we don't have to be afraid. God's got plenty. And not only that, then God will begin to add people to your circle. He'll add your family members will come back together. Others will begin listening to you. You'll begin winning people in your community, on your job. And you won't have to be out there feeling pressured. I got to somehow get them saved. No, no, you just have to let the word of God do its work. And it works from the inside to the outside and the Holy Spirit steps in and proves his power and this thing just takes off. I'm telling you, God's word is real and God's word is relevant for today in all of our lives. Hope you've been blessed by God. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.